Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Well, what extraordinary times these are. I don't know whether there's ever been a week quite like this one. Uh, Words and phrases that hitherto were hardly ever used, like lockdown and self-isolation, social distancing, all these words have now become commonplace. And I think that if the turmoil and the shaking of the last few months and years with the political meltdowns, the, the cultural shifts, the Hollywood scandals, the floods, the fires, if they weren't enough, then uh, this week has been for many a further realisation that the world's systems are far more fragile than people realised. And hence there is real fear and anxiety and insecurity. And the word, of course, being used everywhere is crisis. But for us... Um, these things are only further confirmation that real security is found only in Jesus, the rock, and in his kingdom. And from there, we can know peace and we can carry peace to many others. These extraordinary times are full of extraordinary opportunities. So here I am sharing online instead of live, and for now this is our new normal. And I hope you'll enjoy the message. I hope you'll engage interactively with comments and prayer requests and passage lookups. And I hope you will share this message, which will be available to do so, with any others who may be encouraged or helped by it. I want us to look at Mark chapter 1 together. And I want us to look at some of the gospel encounters we find in this chapter. And I want to call this talk Wonders in the Wilderness. Wonders in the Wilderness. So let's read Mark chapter 1. Um, this, this gospel, the gospel of Mark, was written by John Mark, who was Barnabas's cousin. He's the, the man that accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13, but left halfway through, which caused a dispute between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, he then went with Barnabas to Cyprus, and later he went with Paul to Rome. And uh, towards the end of Paul's life, he was, he was fully appreciated by Paul. And, and this gospel, the Gospel of Mark, is, is thought to be the earliest of the gospels, the first one to be written by John Mark, and probably based on Peter's eyewitness accounts. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, Peter refers to Mark as his son. They're not natural sons, but there was a father-son relationship between Peter and John Mark. So... Mark chapter 1 is the first chapter of the first written of the Gospels. And it's one of the most dynamic, exciting, colourful, fast-paced, noisy chapters in the Bible. And the first words of this first chapter of this first Gospel really uh, set the scene for us. They say that this is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In this thrilling, heart-pumping first chapter, all 45 verses of it, we have the beginning of the gospel. We have the start of good news. We have the foundation, the source, the, the life spring of all good things. It all starts here. So we're going to read it. It's, um, it's quite a long read, but I just want to ask you to hold tight and enjoy the reading. And, 
And in particular, just note the, the multiple encounters Jesus has with other people. Uh, you'll, you'll, we'll come across John the Baptist, an encounter with John the Baptist. We actually come across an encounter with Satan in the wilderness. We, we come across his interaction with angels. We, we read of him um, encountering Simon and Andrew and then James and John and then being in the synagogue and, and, and being with synagogue goers in Capernaum and, the, and then a man with an unclean spirit and then Simon Peter's mother-in-law and then the whole town of Capernaum come to him and then towards the end of the chapter there's the the story of Jesus encountering the man with leprosy. So we'll read it together. Trust you'll really enjoy this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord and make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were flocking to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, and he was preaching, someone more powerful than I will come after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. And as soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending to him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. I take delight in you. Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels began to serve him. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And as he was passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in their boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Then they went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. And they were astonished at his teaching, because unlike the scribes, he was teaching them as one having authority. Just then, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus, Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, shouted with a loud voice and came out of him. And then they were all amazed. So they began to argue with one another saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And his fame then spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. 
As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons. But he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up and went out and made his way to a deserted place, and he was praying there. And Simon and his companions went searching for him, and they found him and said, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I've come. So he went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And then a man with a serious skin disease came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. And immediately the disease left him and he was healed. And then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses prescribed for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places and they would come to him from everywhere. Wow. It's uh, quite a story, isn't it? And I want to just spend the rest of this, this time just focusing on four things that I see here in this chapter that are a great blessing. And the first is to say that um, the gospel begins with a promise of power. That first verse, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, tells us that the next little section is going to describe how things begin. The good news of Jesus, the gospel, has a beginning. It began with a prophetic promise way back in Genesis chapter 3 when, um, when the Lord uh, tells us that the woman's offspring will crush the serpent's head. It's a promise of Jesus. It's a promise of, of good news. And in many other places, there are similar prophetic promises. And here, the quotation in Mark chapter 1 is from the book of Isaiah. It's a, it's a prophetic promise that John will come into the wilderness to prepare a way for Jesus. God has acted decisively in history to restore people to himself. He has a plan. And that plan has a beginning and an end. He's not abandoned or abdicated or absented himself from the world. The gospel began with a prophetic promise long ago, but, but kind of comes into its, its full reality as John appears in the wilderness, baptizing and challenging people to confess their sins and get right with God because Jesus is coming into view. And that's well known. But there's a vital dimension that we must not miss. The gospel begins with a promise of power. John says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
This distinctive characteristic of Jesus, which is repeated in all, all four Gospels, that Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit, almost as if this is how you'll know him. This is how you'll know him. He's the one that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Tells us that this baptism in the Spirit, this promise of power, is not an optional extra. It's foundational, it's fundamental, it's, it's at the start, at the beginning, and at the very heart of the gospel. And to miss this out to mi- is to miss out on some of the good news. If we minimize this fact, if we, if we um, relegate this, this feature, this baptism in the spirit, then we are disempowering and disabling the church. Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and with firepower. And these extraordinary times we're in may be the greatest opportunity of our generation. We will be known by our love, by our generosity, by our peace, our kindness, our compassion towards others, our thoughtfulness as we reach out to friends and neighbors. But we also need power. The baptism in the spirit, as Acts chapter one tells us, is to empower us for mission. The world needs us to move in power, church. Healing the sick, setting people free, untangling people from their past. It tells us that in Corinth, in Acts chapter 19, Paul did extraordinary miracles because they were needed. We're in a battle and the fruit of the Holy Spirit are only half of our weaponry. We need the gifts of the Spirit as well. And therefore, we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'll come back to that in just a moment. The second thing I see in, these, in this chapter is that Jesus touches and transforms everyone. It seems to me that Mark is, is making sure that we see just how wide, how all-encompassing is the scope of Jesus's ministry. In this opening chapter alone, Jesus touches men and women, young and old, brothers, family members, strangers, the sick, the demon-possessed. He ministers in the synagogue. He ministers on the streets. He ministers to individuals and to crowds. He, He functions and ministers in towns and in villages and in the wilderness, the deserted places. It seems to me that God so loves the whole world that no one is outside his reach or his touch. And in these extraordinary times, we need to be really convinced that our neighbors, my neighbors, your neighbors, my friends, my family are the very, very people that Jesus came for. I love the fact that he gives what we really need, even if it's more than we ask for. For example, the leper that we, that we read about towards the end of the chapter, the leper asks to be made clean. Jesus could have healed him with a word, but instead he's moved with compassion and he reaches out and he touches him. Why? Because after years of being treated as an outcast, as an untouchable, I believe what this this man longed for as much as anything was to, to feel the touch of human skin, an expression of acceptance. Jesus knows what people need. And when we reach out to him, when we reach out to him, he never, ever 
disappoints us. I believe our friends need to know that. And I love the fact that he, he takes us as we are and then he transforms what and who we are for his greater purpose and his greater glory. Um, it's, it's not a coincidence that the first two men that Jesus calls in this passage, in verse 16, uh, Simon and Andrew, uh, they are fishermen. But Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. In other words, he, he takes who and what they are, fishermen, and he transforms it for his greater purpose, that they become fishers of men. And we find that throughout the Bible. Moses and David were shepherds long before they began shepherding God's people. As a physio, Rich Jones cared for bodies. He now cares for the body of Christ. Lisa Graves' lifelong gift and passion to, to teach kids has found its greatest fulfillment in serving a generation of Living Rock Church kids. One of my childhood dreams was to be an architect, but God had a different kind of house in mind. Over and over again, we see this principle. And I just want to say, if you, if you let him, God will take the way he's fundamentally made you and wired you with your passions, your gifts, your abilities, and he will use those very things to make you most fulfilled as you serve him. We've been saying lately, I'm gonna say it again, we've been made for mission. We are perfectly designed and suited for such a time as this. And in these extraordinary times, let's present ourselves to him afresh and, and just ask him to use us for his glory. Then the third thing I want to say is that is uh, when I read this chapter, I, I just conclude, um, this is what the kingdom looks like. Jesus begins his ministry with, with three decisive actions. Firstly, his own baptism in water and the spirit descending upon him in, chapter, in verses 12 and 13. And then secondly, his, uh, I beg your pardon, in, chapter, in verses um, uh, verse, uh, 10 and 11. And then in, in, in verses 12 and 13, into the desert, into the wilderness, for his triumph over Satan, triumph over temptation. And then, thirdly, his announcement in verses 14 and 15, that the kingdom of God has come near. This is massive. This is earth-shaking. This, this changes everything. You see, now the way has been prepared. The beloved Son of God is here. He has submitted himself to the Father's will. He's been baptized into the human condition. He's beaten temptation. And now, therefore, he announces the dawn of a new era. The kingdom of God has come near. And everything else in this chapter, and indeed in the rest of this gospel, is a manifestation, is an outworking of that truth. The kingdom of God has come near. Angels attend him. He has an authority never seen before. He has power over unclean spirits. He can lift people up out of fevers. He can heal huge crowds of various diseases. He's directed with a sense of divine calling, led by the Spirit. He has compassion. He can touch lepers and make them whole and embrace them. This is the kingdom. You know, the Bible tells us the earth is the Lord's 
and everything in it, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth and everything in it, the world and all its inhabitants, were created, sustained, and are loved by God. But a squatter has moved in, an enemy unlawfully occupying the Lord's property, seeking to control something that never was, never is, and never will be his. But now Jesus has come to put things right, to evict the squatter, to reclaim our lives, to reorder everything, to function the way he always intended. The kingdom has come, and this is good news. And when we reach the end of this chapter, and we look back at all that activity, we have to agree the kingdom of God has surely come. All the fast-paced urgency of this chapter of this gospel is because God is urgently establishing a new rule, a new realm, a new reign, a new order, the kingdom of God. He's putting things right. He's sorting things out. He's dealing with injustices. He's restoring hope. He's reclaiming all that is rightfully his. The world's systems and securities as we have discovered, can definitely be shaken in a week. But a nation can be born in a day. And in these extraordinary times, we can be totally secure, knowing that God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. The king has come, he's restoring all things, and he's coming again. And then the the fourth and final thing I want to say from these chapters, this chapter. I don't know whether you noticed, but there are six references to the wilderness. Uh, verses three and four, verses 12 and 13, and verses 35 and 45. The wilderness, or maybe your translation might say the deserted place or the desert. But the word used is, is a word, eremo, and it means this, listen carefully, it means an uncultivated or unpopulated place, a desolate place, a desolate area, but figuratively a solitary place that also provides needed quiet, freedom from disturbance. And the word does not suggest absolute barrenness, but unappropriated territory, affording free range for shepherds and their flocks the wilderness. It was here that John began his ministry in verses three and four. It was here that Jesus defeated Satan in verse 13. It was here that Jesus withdrew from the busyness to find the quietness to pray, verse 35. And it is here in the wilderness that Jesus continued his ministry at the end of the chapter in verse 45. The Eremo, the wilderness, is an extremely significant place. The wilderness is to be embraced, not feared. Now in these extraordinary times, many of us are facing an enforced slowdown. We find ourselves with more solitude than we'd planned. And it may feel like a wilderness. It may seem daunting. Last month we were carrying on as normal. 
Last week, everything changed. Now we must stay at home more, avoid gathering with others. But there's something very special to be embraced here. Empty places are packed with potential. This is time to enjoy the slowdown, to pray, to find much needed quiet, freedom from disturbance. This is not a barren place, not a barren time. This is time for the shepherd to have free range with his flock. Let's go to him with clean hands and pure hearts. Let's prepare the soil in our lives. Let's break up the hard ground and let him cultivate the land of our lives. Let's, if necessary, come to him and ask him to empower us afresh and baptize us afresh in the Holy Spirit. Think about it. We may not get another opportunity like this again in our lifetimes. I'm determined to set great disciplines and routines in this time. I'm determined to, to read more, to enjoy prayer more than ever, to really hear his voice, to nourish my soul, to exercise well, to find new, fresh, healthy rhythms in my life. I'm asking God to help me to use this time really wisely. And I just want to encourage you to do the same. Let's stay in touch online. Let's share these videos. Let's share podcasts with others. Please let us know if we can help in any way. I believe God is in this place, in this space, in this time with us. And there are wonders to be discovered and enjoyed in this unexpected wilderness and in this extraordinary time. So my prayer is that God would bless us abundantly in this time. And just to ask, ask you now if you join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we find ourselves in. We are very aware of, of the fear and anxiety in the world, but we pray that we would be men and women of great peace and we would enjoy your peace and we would, we would be carriers of your peace to others. Lord, I want to thank you for this gospel chapter which um, tells us that you want to uh, empower us, Lord. This, this chapter of this fantastic gospel which, which shows us how you touch and transform everybody. This, this incredible piece of writing, Lord, which establishes the fact that your kingdom has come on the earth as it is in heaven. And I want to thank you for the wilderness and for the time we now have. And I pray that you will enable all of us to use it wisely and that you would be glorified in all that happens in and through our church in these extraordinary times, Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.